Once again, it's good to be with you. Thanks for taking the time to be with me this morning. And if I didn't get a chance to say hello to you before, Nathaniel, and uh, it's, it's nice to meet you. Hope I get a chance to meet you. Let's uh, begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, sanctify us by the truth. Be with us now as we hear your word, for your word alone is truth. And do not let me or anybody else here stand in the way of us hearing clearly your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had one of those conversations this week that reminds me again how hard relationships are. Talking with somebody, I don't even remember what we were talking about. I'm sure it was something deadly important to the future of the world and the universe and everything else. Uh, and, and the person in the conversation, I, maybe it was me, maybe it was somebody else, said, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to connect with you here. I'm, I'm trying to connect with you. And, uh, and there was that awkward moment then where everybody sits and says, yeah, that's not going so well. Uh, so it was a reminder, you know, just how hard relationships are. And, and I, I've got my own share of problems with them. I've been the guy that says to, to people, you know, I'm just trying to love people here, or we're just trying to love people. And, I, and I'm saying that, as I'm saying that, there's the voice in the back of my mind that says, yeah, that's, you're saying that because the last thing you did wasn't very loving. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you've, you've caught yourself uh, in that before. Pete Scazzaro, who is a, a great author about healthy relationships within the Christian context, he tells a story of one time how a friend came to him and said, you know, why are Christians, uh, why are so many Christians such lousy human beings? Uh, why are they so judgmental and touchy and defensive? He was, he was pointing out, hey, it's, it's hard to have uh, good relationships. Now, that's not just uh, a Christian problem. Americans in general struggle with relationships. There was a report, I think, put out by Cigna, the healthcare company, about 18 months ago uh, that said that half of all Americans, half of all Americans consider themselves lonely. You know, and that research tends to skew younger uh, that, that the younger you are, the more likely you are to say, I feel lonely. So if you are a, a, you know, a person who's 45 and, and under here, you, know, you look around and, and all the people 45 and under, two-thirds, three-fourths of them, two out of every three people in this room probably would say they're lonely. Wow. That's a, that's a big number, huh? Relationships are hard for us. Most Americans, do you know how many confidants most Americans say they have? Zero. Most Americans say they have nobody that they can tell the, the deep, hard things of their life to, nobody that they can be open and honest and, and vulnerable with. Most Americans don't have good relationships. Uh, then we see Jesus, and I love looking at Jesus this week, because it, it, we see him, you know, Jesus just excels at everything. And in Epiphany, we get to see all of the excellence in his life, how awesome he is. Uh, he is so awesome. He can, he can fix people's problems. He doesn't fix everybody's problems, but he fixes many people's problems. He, he teaches the Bible, God's Word, with authority that impresses people. And he is excellent at connecting with people. One of the, one of the ones we hear about this week is he connects with people with a, a, a Peter's mother-in-law. I love just watching Jesus connect with Peter's mother-in-law. He's so good at it. Um, another time Jesus receives uh, you know, the poor, the sick, the hungry, uh, and, and they all come to him, and Jesus shows them what's wrong with their lives, and still they want to be with them. You know, how many people do you know 
you can tell here's what's wrong with your life, and then they still want to be with you. <laughs> you, know, they, you just can't do it, can they? But Jesus finds a way to do it. Uh, Jesus tells people, come follow me, be my disciple, follow me. And they're all like, okay, let's do it. Who does that? You know, nobody. If I say to you, come follow me, everybody's like, yeah, right. It, it doesn't happen. Jesus excels at relationships. And there's something for us here. There, there's something for us to, to notice and to think about. You know, if you spend a lot of time with people, uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, you should definitely probably, I think you should read that, uh, or Daniel Goleman's book on emotional intelligence. There's a lot of emotional and relational skills that you and I can learn. When you add the divine power, divine power, God's power into this, when you combine emotional and relational health with, with divine power, there is a truly life-changing power at work. There is a transformative thing that happens to you and me, a, a great supernatural work. And today God says, let's, let's start this work to really learn how to love one another. Let's get into that, that work. That's the question, you know. Why, today, it's just simple. Why should I like to be with people? Why should I be with people? Uh, and in the coming weeks, God's got some things to say to us about making the expectations clear that we have in a godly way for others. Uh, he's going to tell us how to be present or to be present really for people when they're uh, in their lives. But today, it's just a simple one. Why, why be with people? And couple things, to, two things to show us that. First of all, uh, who God is and then what God does. Who God is relationally and, and what God does relationally to encourage us to be with people. So the event today is from Matthew chapter 3, and uh, the event there is we see some pretty amazing individuals. The first person we have is Jesus. Jesus walks down to the Jordan River. He asks John the Baptist to baptize him. And after he goes down into the water, he comes back up from the water, and he hears this voice that says, this is my son. The first thing that we know from this event is Jesus is a son. No big surprise there. Every male human being is the son of somebody, huh? Um, but maybe what is surprising is if you expected Mary and Joseph to be at this event and to say, oh, that's my kid. You know, baptisms, big family things, right? Hey, yeah, that's my kid. Uh, that's not this event. It's, the, it's somebody else who says, this is my son. Now, if they're calling, if the voice says, this is my son, well, that means who's speaking? A, a father, right? A, a father is speaking to, to connect with the son. And then there is a, a third person that comes down, the Holy Spirit. And so we got here the, the Trinity, the, the three in one. Trinity, that's what this is. It means, tri, Trinity means triune, triune, uh, three in one. Uh, the guys who came up with this word, they're just, they were so smart. You know, I mean, just geniuses, right? Three, one, smash it together, one word, we'll call it Trinity. Wow, mind blown. Um, it's not a biblical word. So if you don't like it, you know, you don't have to use it. You're not less of a Christian. You can, you can talk around it if you'd like to do that. You can use other words, but I'm pretty sure if you can say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, you can say Trinity. I mean, right? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, Trinity. That's it. 
So uh, you, can, you can talk around it, though. And, and what we see here from the Trinity is that these are, these are some people who really like, uh, like each other. They like to connect to each other. They like, they like to be together. The, the Holy Spirit comes down, and he, he doesn't just float around Jesus. He, he rests on Jesus. He connects with him. And the, the Father speaks personally and individually to Jesus. It says, I'm pleased with you. I, I, with you, I am well pleased. Uh, that's this amazing word that we get in this section. How pleased are you with other people? How much do you like other people? If you just had a baby, uh, if you're in the first year or so of a dating relationship, or if you're in the honeymoon phase of your marriage, and I say, how much do you like people? You're like, me, 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 I love people. Yes, we, we love each other. The rest of us are all thinking, how much do I love people? Um, hmm, right? Uh, uh, remember Charles Schultz? I love humanity, it's people I can't stand. How many of us have said that before? Uh, how much do you like people? Well, you know, I guess if I have to. That's not the Trinity. That's not the Trinity. The, the Trinity, the, the Spirit loves to come down and to connect with Jesus. The Father says, I, I'm pleased with you. There is, a, there is a, a, the self-existence of the Trinity is close. Um, when we speak about the Trinity, we say that they have this, this self-existence or self-sustaining nature to them. And that means that their relationship is so intimate, so close, that they, they care for or they can support one another all by themselves. Uh, let me give you just kind of two implications or two uh, examples of, of what we're saying here with this. So, on the one side, the relationship of the Trinity is is so intimate. It is so tight. Uh, it's, it's, it's this tight, the, that Jesus can say, I and the Father are one. They're one person. Uh, and, you know, if you're married and you've, you've got kids, you know kind of what that is because you, you look at your kids sometimes and you say, that's me. I do that all the time. Uh, and then sometimes you look at your kid and you say, wait, that's my spouse. Whoa, right there, right? That's us. Right there, that's us, okay? So you have that experience. And yet you know, even as a married person, there will be things that you learn about your spouse your whole life. You know, you'll be 50 years old and you say, I never knew that about you. So you can't have a perfect intimacy, a perfect nearness like that. But Jesus, Jesus can look at the Father and he could say, I and the Father are one. There is an, an intimacy beyond anything that we've ever imagined. So that's the one side of it. But at the same time, the relationship of the Father and the Son, um, they don't, they are firmly independent, fiercely and firmly independent. They don't have the same kind of emotional entanglement that you and I get in our relationships. So if, if a child um, gets anxious when the Father is gone, uh, if a child refuses to do anything without their Father's approval, and if a child feels excessive shame and guilt about something they've done, um, especially with respect to their father, what do you know about that relationship? That's an unhealthy relationship, isn't it? It's, it's a codependent relationship. They're, they're too emotionally entangled in one another. Uh, but that's not Jesus and the Father. 
after Jesus rises from the dead, he says, I'm going to return to my God, not to my father. It's like calling your parents a manager. You know, I got to go work for my manager. Nobody, nobody does that because that's too much separation in the relationship, isn't it? But that's what Jesus does with his father. He says, I need to return to my God. There's a distance there. Uh, or the clearest example is on the cross where Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You think if there's any time in your life when you're dying, you're going to call out to your father, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? But he doesn't say that. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because there's a, a separation. There's a distance. There's a differentiation. They don't have the same emotional entanglement in the relationships that, that you and I tend to get. So you've got this intimacy, this closeness, and this distance all at the same time. It's no wonder, we can see pretty here, awesome here, that the, the triune God really shows us the pleasure of people. There's this intense, intense pleasure. Uh, and, and there's an usness, there's a, there's a, a oneness, a, a community sense here. You know, we, the same thing that God did for all of humanity in Genesis 2 as he, as he created human beings is, is right here. There's this intimacy and this separation, a, a beautiful community. And this is an amazing thing I think that we, we should chew on here. You know, this is the end of isolation. This is the end of putting up walls toward other people. This is the end of loneliness. There's a community that is, is beautiful, it's powerful, and it leads to saying, with you I am well pleased. What an awesome thing. I, I love to look at this, don't you? It, it's a marvel to see how much the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they, they love each other like that. And, and yet, it makes you wonder, why? Why is it like this? Why, why is it like this? And Jesus, of course, he has that line where, where he says, um, when he comes down to get baptized, he puts it this way. He says, it's proper to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. This is as beautiful of a gospel statement as we can get. Jesus has come to satisfy all of the emotional requirements or the emotional and the relational requirements with his father. You think there's a perfect relationship. The father, the son, they, they, they've got pleasure with each other and yet Jesus says, I've come to satisfy all of the emotional and the relational requirements and expectations of this relationship. This is an amazing gospel statement. Every other religion will tell you and me, you live a righteous life. And then you offer that life to God, and maybe God will accept it, and he'll say to you, I'm pleased with you. The Christian gospel says to you, Jesus has lived a righteous life, and he offers it in your place so that you and God can have this awesome relationship. And, and I don't know if, I don't know if uh, any of you know the the story, I actually saw an interesting example of this um, from Prince Philip. Uh, they told part of the story in 
The Crown, if any of you are watching the, the Netflix series, The Crown is kind of an interesting series. So, but I'll, I'll just tell you the, the story. The story goes that um, Prince Philip is married to Queen Elizabeth, the, the Queen of England. And um, about the same time that the astronauts, were, the first astronauts were going to the moon, uh, Prince Philip had something of a, a crisis of faith. He was sitting and listening to the dean preach one day, and he couldn't stand the dean's preaching. Uh, and he, he walked out of the church and he just said, I'm done. Right? Crisis of faith. I, have, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. Uh, and so he got invited by the dean to come to this, um, this small uh, spiritual uh, questioning group or small spiritual skeptics group. Now, about the same time, like I said, the, the first astronauts, uh, Buzz Aldrin, don't you always want to say Buzz Lightyear whenever you say that? I do, every time. And, and Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins, the first three astronauts, they went to the moon. Uh, and the prince supposedly or reportedly was totally enamored by this. You know, he spent days poring over the reports of the trip. He, he watched all of the, the news reports about it, and he says to himself, wow, those are real men. And then he sits down with this spiritual skeptics group that the, the new dean has put together, and they're all talking about how their life lacks meaning and significance and, and a sense of fulfillment. They say, you know, we've worked and we've strived for God for all these years, and we feel like we've accomplished nothing. We, we haven't lived out any purpose in our existence. And so then uh, the prince listens there patiently, and then he, he just explodes on these guys. He says, here's you, you bunch of bunch of old guys and you're all just sitting around worrying about your own meaning and significance and fulfillment and you want to know what real men look like? Those are real men. They've done real things. They're important. They're meaning. They have significance. You should learn from those men. All right, so he blows up at them. Then the prince gets this chance to meet the three astronauts. They come to visit him at Buckingham Palace. And he sits there and he, he asks them, he says, so um, what was it like? What did you think as you, as you looked out of the window of the space shuttle down on, on Earth? What did it feel like? How, how did that feel to you? Um, you know, when you stepped onto the, the moon's surface, what did it feel like? And you know what they say? Nothing. Nothing. They've got nothing. They said, we just did the task. We did the jobs. We did, we did all these little duties. We checked them off the list. It didn't mean a thing to us. And the prince is crushed. It's just, he can't believe it. Absolutely blown away. All of these astronauts, all these astronauts care about is, they want to say, what's it like to live in Buckingham Palace? What's it like to have a driver all the time? What's it like to be married to the queen? That's what they care about. Absolutely crushed. And so the, the prince goes back to the, the guys and uh, he, he sits down with that skeptics group and he, he says to them, I've experienced an almost jealous fascination with the achievements of these astronauts. An inability to find calm or satisfaction or fulfillment. My mother died recently. She saw that something was missing in her only child, faith. How is your faith, she asked me. I admit I've lost it. The loneliness and the emptiness and the anticlimax to go all the way to the moon and to find nothing but haunting desolation, ghostly silence, gloom, 
I'm trying to say that the solution to our problems is not the science or technology or bravery. The answer is here, wherever faith resides. And the dean just sat there and he listened to him. There's, there's nothing to say, is there? That's exactly what happens when you and I expect another person to fulfill all of the expectations and the hopes and the longings and the dreams in our lives. When you and I expect somebody else to be the meaning and the significance for us, then, then either they get crushed by all of our expectations or we get crushed because they can't do it. There is only one person who can fulfill all of the expectations of your relationship to one another and your relationship to God. There is only one person in the whole world who can possibly do all of the things that you want and you need and you wish in life. And he said it's proper to fulfill all righteousness. He was glad to do that for you. Do you know what we call a person who, who we say, hey, this person is, they've got to fulfill all of my expectations and my, my re requirements and my longings? That's a savior. And if you make some other human being that person, that's an idol. Because there, there is one who has done it for you and, and for me, who has satisfied every requirement in our relationships, both with each other and with the Father. And it's no wonder then that God the Father can look at his son and say, with you I am well pleased. There's not a single requirement of that relationship, not a single expectation that the son did not fulfill. And it makes God happier than anything in this world to look at him and then to let you know that because of him, he's pleased with you. He appreciates you. He's glad to have you. He's pleased. That's the, that's the basic statement, isn't it, that tells us that we can have a great relationship with God and with others, that Jesus fulfills every expectation. And God has no problem saying to you and to me because of that, hey, I'm pleased with you. You are pleasing to me. That's the, the start. That's the first expression of real spirituality. Because behind that expression comes an understanding of this. That, that real relationship, real spirituality comes in a, a love of God and a love for the people around us. We can't have a, a real healthy spirituality unless we both love God and we love people. Very often, we try to separate the one from the other. I can love God, but I don't have to love people. Or I can love people, but I don't have to love God. And it's only when we can put the two together and say to somebody, somebody who maybe who has, has failed us, failed a lot of expectations, failed a lot of requirements, I'm pleased with you. You're pleasing to me. Not because you did it all right. Not because you're perfect but because Jesus is your substitute. He stood in your place. And so I hope that as, as you and I take a chance to, to build healthier relationships, that's something that you can say too. 
I'm pleased with you. I'm just pleased with you. You make me glad. Thank you. I appreciate you. Because people can bring us great pleasure. We pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the opportunity today to see this amazing pleasure that you have in your Son because Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. We confess that very often our, our spirituality, our, our spiritual lives are, are weak, uh, they're shallow. We do not well love you or the people around us. We repent of this. And we ask that you would open our, our hearts and our minds to the ways that we have to love the people around us, to see the pleasure and the delight that you have within your relationship, and, and then to model that love to other people. We pray for this power, this divine grace, through the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.